Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This weekend, we're talking about a very weird thing that happened this week when a reviewer gave his opinion of a video game. So here we are in this very weird world of 2016, and what had happened was Rowan Kaiser, freelancer for IGN, reviewed Stellaris, a new game, a new paradox game. Uh, apparently it's been pretty well received, and he was not that thrilled with the game. There was a lot of hassle, there was a lot of sort of harassment of Rowan, and Paradox actually came out and made a public statement in support of, you know, Rowan for being able to review the game uh, and give his opinion of the game. And this is, man, this is weird on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's uh, kind of a mortifying moment, if, if we're being <laughs> honest. Um, because it's weird, it's it's just weird that Paradox felt they had to issue the statement, right? Like, that there was enough uh, flack uh, being directed at Rowan that they had to, like, take a like take a brief time out from what's been a pretty successful launch week and 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 sort of a sell that like you know would have to be some celebrations over there uh for for oh, how yeah. solaris is doing and then they had to be like by the way stop beating up on the guy who didn't, didn't like the game that much um and you know it, like it's like it's 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 a very nice goodwill gesture uh from paradox and it's really nice to see someone uh, really refuse to take part in the um, like the bullying, basically. Yeah, uh, the, the grievance culture, I would say, <laughs> that, sure. that exists around uh, game reviews. Like, I mean, you know, the the interesting thing was, like, you saw people, um, you know, attacking Rowan, attacking IGN, uh, trying to like trying to sort of stir the pot, right? Like, I saw people trying to get like Brad Wardell to wade in. Uh, to, oh to weigh God. in on how yeah. his game's been treated at uh, at IGN, which uh, Brad is only too happy to do, uh, be, <laughs> because uh, you know and I'm I'm friendly with Brad. Uh, I have some major issues with uh, with certain things he said, and and I think uh, you know taking taking part in the Sarkeesian <laughs> effect uh, exhibits some some really awful uh, judgment, but. I, I think a lot of it comes from the same place, which which is that I, I think Brad is is very quick to feel, uh, take very personally any kind of criticism uh, of sure. of him or or his games, and it's it's nice to see Paradox sort of say no, that's that's not how it works, that's not how criticism works, right? Like you take your lumps, yeah. uh, and it, it's it's certainly easy to say that from a position of of strength, the way Paradox is is saying it this week, like. Their game was incredibly well received. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, what's interesting is if if Stellaris had sort of gotten beat up a lot, Paradox probably wouldn't have been in a place where they wanted to issue a statement like this. Nor would they have had to, though, because the real issue here is that Rowan didn't like a game that a lot of other people did, and therefore... He can't be an outlier. It can't be viewed as just like, well, someone's going to be distributed on this part. <laughs> someone's going to be distributed on this yeah. part of the curve. Instead, it's like, well, no, like everyone else says this game is good. So what's this guy's axe to grind? Oh, God. Yeah, it, it's it's really it really sort of shows off a lot of things that are aggravating about sort of our grievance culture, as you called it, and sort of the the entitlement of some people that, that think that, you know, my opinion is the right opinion, and anybody that has anything other than that 
we need to find a conspiracy theory that that explains it instead of other people who have a brain also have other feelings about things. It's it's really it's kind of maddening in in a lot of ways, just sort of what it means. And it, it reminded me not to make this about me, but but something like this happened to me very, very, very similarly happened to me uh, a few years ago when I reviewed Dragon's Crown. I gave the game a 6.5 and I, you know, had a sentence about how I didn't like the way some of the women NPCs were basically sex slaves. And I, <laughs> there were thousands of comments and lots of abuse and all sorts of things. And the, you know, a PR rep from from the publisher actually came into the Polygon comments and said, hey, you know, Danielle wrote a good review and it's fair and she's allowed to think the things she wants to think. And it was it was sort of similar in tone to sort of what, what was happening here with Rowan and I, and I really sympathize with him and sort of, you know, you're not always going to agree with what every other critic or what, you know, the critical consensus is. And that's healthy and great and wonderful and that's part of what criticism should be. You know, all sorts of opinions from all sorts of different people. Um, but it's, God, it's just so gross to see this happening again and again. And, man, it's 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 weird. It's a weird thing. <laughs> and I wonder how much of it does come from the same people, right? Like, sure. I mean, there, there, there are times you start to wonder if most of the problems w- around games culture is literally just the same group of assholes yeah. <laughs> uh, who uh, you show up in different contexts, right? But it's all the same people. Uh, because as far as I can tell, like the con- like, so one of the things that Paradox had to bring up was was that there's no that the the charge against Rowan that he was engaged <laughs> in some sort of uh, social justice warrior conspiracy sure. against Paradox um, is kind of breathtaking. <laughs> it is, <laughs> but but the fact that this 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 became disseminated widely enough, like widely enough disseminated that. Paradox had to sort of cite this specifically and, and say, hey, that's that's just not true. And as far as I can tell, it, it, it stems from uh, sort of the, the, the standard, uh, you know, the, the, the standard Gamergate, uh, you know, telegraph, telegraph right? <laughs> sure. Where what I found, at least, is that the, the, the source for this, this conspiracy theory... Uh, seems to stem from a comment that that Rowan made about good old games, which has nothing to do with paradox. Uh, but but the fact that like Rowan has in the past expressed uh, like distaste for Total Biscuit and Paradox has not shared that distaste, and so the theory is that like Rowan is sort of settling the score, right? That, that you know he was he, he was if you're not going to, if you're not going to blackball Total Biscuit, then I'm going to blackball you, Paradox. Uh, and nobody reasonable believes this. So where does it pop up? Well, it pops up in like the PC Master Race uh, subreddit, for instance. Of course, of course. Uh, which is you know kind of which, which was cross posted there from the the Kotaku in Action uh, subreddit. So like I I see things like that, and I'm like, oh man, like this is just like it's it's a small group of people who are really good at amplifying their voice. And they appear in so many different places under so many different guises that you like. It's easy to think there's a lot of them, but really, it's just it's it's people who bring the same axe to grind to it's like the 50 same four hundred people. Yeah, yeah, it's like the exact same four hundred people every time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and you know maybe we think there's a tidal wave, but it really is just sort of yeah, exactly that. The sort of internet mob mentality makes everything seem so much bigger than it actually is on on sort of any side of any argument, <laughs> frankly. But but this time it sort of hit this, and it hit Rowan, and it hit Stellaris. 
it's, I don't know, it, it's upsetting to me on a lot of levels and upsetting to me that, like, we're still here, basically. Yeah. You know, for all the conversation that we've had in the last few years, and it's been a rough few years for a lot of folks who, who do this kind of work uh, for many reasons, and one of them being sort of a disconnect between a perceived audience and the perceived critics and, and what we all do and what's, what lines we draw on the sand and so on and so forth. But I, it just it, it frustrates me that we keep having these conversations and that we keep sort of having to have these conversations when it's sort of like, hey, can't we can't we get past this one? We've done this one ten times. You uh, know, one of, kind of, of one of those. <laughs> how much of that is also just due to the fact that like Reddit seems to occupy an outsized place in uh, the conversation? Yeah, right? I think because, that's true too. Because yeah. like Reddit may be an important traffic source for a lot of websites, but I'm not actually convinced they're that important for reaching wide audiences right like that's that's something i sometimes wonder about reddit because it's a very it's 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 a very sort of insular culture yeah Uh, a lot of subreddits are are very much reflections of uh sort of the biases and obsessions of a handful of like thought leaders and like moderators and I just I, I sometimes wonder like the, the, these are easy places for uh, outrage to be ginned up and for controversies to seem like they're they're sort of becoming like you know viral almost. Uh, but again, like I, I just have no idea how much that really resonates outside of that. What amazes me here though is that this happened in the context of of a strategy game. Yes, uh, and that is interesting. <laughs> it's 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 kind of I guess. Uh, I guess it's a sign of of the sort of breakthrough success paradox is starting to have, right? Uh, because the the idea of this conversation happening over a Crusader Kings two review is kind of <laughs> baffling to me. But with Stellaris, I can sort of see where it's coming from because suddenly, like, no, this is something more uh, more traditional PC gamers care about. And therefore, they're bringing a lot of the. The therefore, you're you're drawing in now some of that poisoned well, right? Some, some of that, that PC some of that master raciness. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like the uh, you've got a bunch of people who just discovered Paradox Games, who just discovered this game Stellaris, and they think immediately, well, clearly I know what I <laughs> clearly I know everything I need to know about the critical landscape. And the conversation around strategy games, and I think you know this is this is like what you're talking about. Like it's depressing that we're still here. Uh, it is it is enormously depressing. It's 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 demoralizing as a critic, right? Because it, this is you know this is why people don't go to the hassle of assigning yeah. low scores. Nobody ever gets hate mail for like a nine, or <laughs> or you don't get much hate mail for a nine unless somebody, unless you're like, Carolyn Pettit. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's infamous. That's right. Infamously gave a nine to Grand Theft Auto Five. Loved the game, but because it wasn't a ten, it was. But yeah, I'm sorry, I'm being facetious. Your point absolutely stands completely uh, yeah. for this. Yeah. Yeah. So and, I mean, it's just like you know, for for what like freelance review rates are, are, it's it's like man, like why not just fudge it and like give an extra you know roundup or something? Like the temptation to do that is. Uh, you know, has to be has to be significant because anytime you're you're dealing with a situation like this, you're you're filing that score and you just know you just know when that review goes live, 
the 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 what you're going to be in for is just going to be obnoxious at best. <laughs> yeah. I, I can remember times, and I, I won't name names or anything, but I can remember times where somebody, you know, very close to me, a coworker or a close friend in, at a site would be like, I didn't like it, and I know a lot of people liked it, and God, I'm just, I fear for my life. Literally at times saying, like, I fear for my life, like I'm changing my bank accounts, I'm changing my passwords, that kind of stuff, because of just how fraught this is. And that's another part of this. I mean, there's many reasons for this, but there's another reason why it's so difficult to find... You know, I, I, things I'm, I'm feeling now as an editor, so difficult to find really great talent in terms of, of writing talent for this stuff. And, you know, actively seeking out, you know, folks who maybe have been marginalized in the past. And it's so hard to find people because no no fault of their own. Like, that's how tough it is to, to be an honest critic well, <laughs> in this landscape. Well, and a lot of them stick around. A lot of them will stick around because of, partially because of, you know, the low pay, but also because of the abuse that gets hurled at people who are just doing their job and being honest about how they feel about a game. And it's like, just that sentence, how I felt about this game, you know, gave me death threats. Like, it's it's so completely bizarre. And when I talk to people outside of gaming and outside of sort of really, really super saturated internet culture, when I talk to my boxing friends or EMT friends or my family, everybody's like, they look at me like I have 10 heads and they're like... You got death threats because of how you felt about a game. Like it's it's just it's so completely asinine, you know. Like the yeah. whole the whole idea of it still just sort of um, you know makes me want to kind of throw up my hands and, and scream and do a dance, you know, into the void uh, based on just how ridiculous this is. How much mountains are made out of molehills, kind of in this <laughs> in this industry, uh, if that makes sense. Well, and it's just like. A lot of people just want to hear that the thing they've weirdly invested some of their self-worth into yeah. is good. Yes. Uh, and I, I think that's one thing I saw happening a bit with Stellaris is that, like, 4X, uh, like, fanboys, um, like, the the space 4X, even, like, the 4X genre is one thing. I feel like the space 4X genre is just kind of weird. Uh, because like it attracts this this it it seems to attract a really dogmatic audience uh that really loves this one specific formula and if you satisfy that formula then it's you know then it's all good then it's just it's more of the more of the taste you crave (laughs) and if someone criticizes a game for either excessively adhering to that formula or i think in in Rowan's case was with stellaris a game that for him at least didn't do a lot to offer anything beyond that formula uh and you can listen to a a huge discussion of this game on three moves ahead this week we had we had rowan on the show we had austin walker uh fraser brown and, and sean sands and everyone had very different experiences and rowan definitely had the most negative experience like there were things people were talking about happened in their games that rowan never encountered or and i i I think this is true for me as well like there's a lot of things i agree with with in rowan's review uh there's a lot of interesting things that can happen in stellaris that are also very easy to head off if you're sort of playing optimally. Sure. Like if you're if you're if you're playing Stellaris efficiently, you'll actually prevent a lot of complications from from ever occurring that can trigger exciting events. And so I, I like there's a lot of sessions I've I've played of Stellaris where it's just really 
like a purely mechanical exercise of like expanding a space empire and like settling new worlds and not doing a whole bunch beyond that, just sort of repeating the same steps, sort of ad infinitum. And that was sort of the crux of, of Rowan's review, which is that like there's the, the, nothing ever happens here. That like once that once that clock starts turning, it never stops. Um, so you know that that. That's the, the the weird thing is a lot a lot of people are like well that's 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 all of the good that's why Stellaris is good you don't get it uh, <laughs> the, you should have found a reviewer who understands these games yeah uh, and that's and 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 that's just an an odd thing as well that like more than uh, more than I think like strategy games in general the space forex brings out a a, a weird a, a weird audience sure sure that's I mean that's it makes a certain amount of sense you know. Um, it's not exactly like a, a total niche, obviously, uh, but it is a, a pretty specific kind of game, as you're saying. So that that makes a certain kind of sense, you know. And and like to some degree, I I would understand some frustration if, say, you know, somebody who really didn't like platformers reviewed the next Donkey Kong Country game, and I would say, hey, you know, right? It, like I I get it on some level, but but clearly. <sighs> Clearly, Rowan plays these kinds of games. Like, yeah, it's he not, plays them a lot. Exactly. Like, it's not a question of like somebody who's never reviewed a strategy game who is now, you know, reviewing this game for a big site as their, you know, first ever game review or something ridiculous yeah. like that. You know, like that. There are there are ways, and I and I genuinely try, especially as I've gotten a little older and and calmed down maybe a little bit. Um, you know, I used to be a very you could say reactionary, uh, fiery liberal type. You know, I worked for the ACLU for a long time. I fit right in. And, uh, you know, I, I've tried very, very hard to at least attempt to understand uh, people's arguments uh, when they vehemently disagree with me. Because I, I, I like to be the kind of person who can at least find some common ground with other people. And, and I'd rather kind of build a bridge than burn one down and that sort of thing. But Man, this stuff really gets me sometimes. It really, it challenges me on that level, I suppose you could say. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I appreciated in, in their response to all this paradox were like, no, Rowan, Rowan's a valued critic. Like, he understands these games. Like, this is, like, we are not going to, we're not going to blackball Rowan. He's, you know, we are going to continue giving him review code. We're, we're interested in hearing what he says. Uh, you know, it's... I think the the other the the other angle of this though is like there's an awareness that no matter how much you write, no matter how much you've done, nobody has any idea who you are or what your body work is. <laughs> sure. Like yeah. that if you're writing for a big site, your review will always be interpreted through the lens of whatever high profile review uh, people hold against IGN that year. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, and there's no awareness that, like, no, there's there's actual critics who review these games, and you can actually sort of see a body of work, and and it's very easy to see uh, what what a person's background is, and if you actually do pay attention to the space, you 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 would pro you one would think you would you would sort of clue into that. That's not how the world works, though. It's, right. It's that you are always <laughs> just like the site that you're writing for. And you as a person are totally erased, which I think is one of the things that's causing this weird, this this growing gulf between 
online audiences and the people creating content for them. Yeah, I completely agree with that point. There's there's a lot of, even again from my own experience, there's a lot of you know nasty YouTube comments on like videos that I have made, I have captured, I have done the VO for, I have made, where they're like, they just got a girl to read the script. You can tell because she doesn't really care. Like it's things yeah. like that where it's like, oh, you have no idea. My my website is entirely run by women and non-binary people. Like entirely. Like they're. There, there are no men like making decisions, at, you know, for for what we do. And it's kind of no. like you really don't know, do you, my friend, my buddy, old pal? It's uh, it's well, really. Right. <laughs> and, and then but, uh, the, the what worries me is that certainly I have felt sort of a growing disinterest in that audience. Then yes, uh, and that actually makes it hard to do your job effectively because you start. This is this is the weird thing. Like I, I I do care about an audience, like the audiences for my work, but I define that audience very narrowly, right? It's like people I sure. talk to on Twitter. It's people who, like you know, send feedback on the shows. It's people who, uh, you know, like have have sort of been around for a while, right? Like like my strategy, my like when I'm writing about strategy games and such, I'm mostly like writing for like the three moves ahead audience so sure. you like and probably even a, even a fraction of those right so like really you're 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 sort of writing for an audience of that you, you sort of define as you know really a handful of people and the rest like this is why it's always so it's so funny when people are like well that's the last time i go to this website like <laughs> why you know i you shouldn't support this website it well part of it is because like the people creating stuff for these websites no longer place any value in that that audience, right? Like, there's this growing awareness that, like, we're not really here to necessarily serve the readers because the readers aren't really an engaged audience. And so you define it differently than that. Yeah, so much of what we do is changing so rapidly in that way. And who we serve and how we serve them is now, God, that it's 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 like it changes every month, practically. Like, oh man, okay, we gotta go for for this traffic goal or that traffic goal. And it's like, maybe not the traffic goals, but the ad sales, and then this and that, and you know, other things. Not that we have anything to do with ad sales specifically, but you know, you understand what I'm saying. Like metrics change for what success is every day now. And everybody's sort of scrambling to try to figure it out because readers don't really go to home pages anymore. They just, you know, if they see something on social media, then they might click through or they might read it on that site or they might do something else. Like it's completely, completely different from the way things were done four years ago, three years ago, even even a year ago, things are totally different. Um, and a lot of that weirdness, I think, yeah, is is kind of coming through in this stuff. I think readers don't really understand how things are changing either in, in some ways. And we, we don't necessarily always understand what we're doing or how we need to do it and, and that sort of thing. And, and it is getting weird and it is getting a little difficult to, to to figure out what success looks like at this point. So I think it all kind of conflates, right? It, it all kind of creates this kind of weird landscape where we don't all trust each other. And it's a big landscape and it's a little bit scary. And, you know, I do understand why, you know, mistrust happens because of those things. I, I do on some level understand like, hey, you're not really serving my needs as a, as a reader, as an avid, you know, fanboy or fangirl of this type of thing. 
you're so out of touch, man. I don't get it. And and us feeling like, well, you're out of touch. You don't, <laughs> you don't know how we do our jobs. We have to do our jobs differently now because of how the goalposts have moved. So yeah, this is one of those things where it's like, I really wish we could have a big old kumbaya moment and uh, kind of all be like, oh, okay, you know, we'll read your stuff. You read my stuff. We're all going to be fine. We're all going to have jobs tomorrow. <laughs> it, yeah. Anyway, I guess that was that point of, uh, of wanting there to be peace in this grand and, and mysterious universe that we all occupy. But until then, I guess we, we have to keep doing our own little forex and uh, <laughs> expanding our own territory, I guess. Yeah, I think, like, psychologically at least, I, I think part, like, in general, my principle these days is you, you try to cultivate the audience you want and you know what I mean? Like you, yes. you sort of try to create stuff and cultivate an audience that you'd sort of be proud to have. Yes. And those are the people who matter. And hopefully that, hopefully like if you can grow that enough, other people will come along that you'll be able to sort of sustain something. Uh, but you're net, but there is this feeling like you're never going to win with the audience at large uh, because right. it can always, it well, you, like, you don't even know who the audience at large is, right? right because right. like the people who are making the most noise are not actually your chief audience. Uh, they're, 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 they're just coming from somewhere else to, to again, with, with an ax to grind. So it's, it's, it's this difficult, it's, it's a difficult thing. Uh, and I, and I think this is one reason like why there's that, like, don't read, not just don't read the comments, but actually close the comment section down because they distort, they, they distort for both the readers and the writers, uh, who this is for. Yeah. And I, and I, and I hate that that has to be the thing because a lot of my most pleasant, and I agree with you completely. Uh, most, some of my most pleasant and my happiest interactions online are in things like my streams where they're pretty small, but it's, it's, you know, pretty much returning regular people who know that it's a very safe space and, and it's a fun place and everybody's kind of welcome and that sort of thing. And so it like kills me that we can't have that on a broader level, you know, with, with our sites or, you know, that sort of thing. So before we move into correspondence, I'm curious, like, have you been playing Stellaris? Have you taken a look at it? I have not, but I have downloaded it <laughs> and I'm about to actually give it a shot. And maybe that'll be something we can talk about next week as a not even slightly strategy person. Uh, kind of diving in because I've heard it's actually very accessible and that you know that was like a siren song for me like oh yeah I got to try it I've, yeah yeah because I, I I've always felt a kind of a you know I've played a lot of Rise of Nations actually believe it or not when I was in yeah. college um, there are like a couple of strategy games that I've played in my life that I've loved and I feel like it, there's a part of my brain that craves that it's just you know the, the whole thing we always talk about you know in terms of high investment i i kind of need something to be fairly accessible for me to actually really get a lot out of it in a in a short amount of time so i feel like this one might be the one for me actually yeah i think that might well be i think you know it's i think one reason maybe this game does feel a little sparse is that with other paradox games they've sort of been building their audience slowly over the course of different series, right? So, like, by the time Europa Universalis 4 came around, um, yes, they simplified a lot of things. They streamlined a bunch of things. They they basically replaced everything they possibly could uh, with a button instead of a slider, uh, which is a smart move and makes it less daunting. But uh, at the same time, like, people coming into EU4, like, Paradox were sort of able to design for people who've been around a little bit, right? Who yeah. have maybe 
you sort of internalize the the structure and grammar of the game. And I think Stellaris, this might actually be a, a smart move. I think one reason maybe Stellaris feels a little stripped down and why people are reacting really positively to it uh, is because it, it lacks a lot of the uh, bells and whistles that sort of make a paradox game a paradox game. Sure. And that is, of course, why someone like you might end up losing someone like Rowan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's kind of where I'm at as well. Like it, it feels it, it feels a little empty compared to uh, some other some some other grand strategy games. Uh, but then again, it's, its ambitions are a little different. That makes a lot of sense. And I will report back <laughs> yeah. once I do play it. All right. Well, with that, I think it's time for us to handle our weekend correspondence. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Zipcar, a car sharing service that is awesome and wonderful. And I actually personally use it all the time. I like driving to Rhode Island from New York. Nice, pretty drive, sort of up at the Connecticut coastline. Very, very nice. But of course, it is in a lot of cities in the US, Canada, and Europe. Tons of places I've driven Zipcars in all across the US. Totally love it. You basically, it's it's hassle-free. You don't need to worry about keys or anything like that as long as you've got your zip card. You can sign up, you can grab a car. There's tons of different plans, lots of good stuff. So if you don't have a car, but you have need for a car, Zipcar is perfect. So if you go to joinzipcar.com slash weekend, that's joinzipcar.com slash weekend, you get $25 of free driving credit. Really, really good deal. Awesome to jump on. So once again, that is joinzipcar.com slash weekend for $25 of free driving credit. So with that, it's time for some weekend correspondence. Our first email comes in from Chris in Glasgow. Chris says, hi, Danielle and Rob. Last week, you discussed the anxieties associated with creating characters in RPGs, and specifically the feeling that you're going to miss some important or satisfying story content if your character isn't built right. There's a common solution, which is to present many alternative ways to get at the content. In Fallout 4, I keep encountering situations where, for example, I'm too bad at lockpicking to open up a mysterious door, but there's a nearby terminal link to the door that I can hack, or if that fails, I can casually murder everyone in the building until one of them coughs up a key. This style of design stops me from feeling the regret of walking away from an opened, unopened mystery door, but it also devalues my decisions in a way that feels like I'm being mollycoddled. I feel that, while the anxiety of missing out on content is painful, the possible solutions probably do more harm than good. In fact, maybe the anxiety is an intrinsic part of RPGs, and perversely, part of why they are so rewarding. Keep up casting the good pods, Chris from Glasgow. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and it also certainly encourages, you know, kind of not sticking to a playstyle. You know, kind of kind of building the, the sort of everyman character and just kind of plowing through the content and, and going about that way. I understand why developers do it because they're, you know, nobody wants to make things that only one person saw. Well, you know, typically large developers don't want to make things that only a couple of people will see. But yeah, it does take something away from the sort of specialness of, of creating a specific type of character and actually legitimately role playing in the in sort of capital letters, that kind of character. And a lot of times, like, if you're providing that many different solutions, like, you become aware, you become very aware that each obstacle is kind of meant to be an illusion, right? Because, yeah. like, there's always going to be, like, a big pile of options nearby, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, like, like an interesting, an interesting comparison is, remember the first level of the original Deus Ex, uh, Liberty Island? 
Yeah. Uh, from the very first, your brother's character is like, hey, man, uh, here's a few approaches you could take. Uh, by the way, I've got some gear, but you can only take one. Uh, <laughs> and each piece of gear obviously corresponds to a different different approach, right? Like, you can, I, I think you can take, like, um, like a rocket launcher, uh, a sniper scope, or, um, oh boy, I think maybe, like, a, like, like, like a, Caliprod type thing or some sure. sort of like stud taser. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but so what? What the game is teaching you at that point in this sort of self-contained island level is that uh, no matter what style you choose, you can complete the mission, but it will unfold drastically different ways, right? Like there's almost no overlap from one approach to the next. Like in a lot of cases, you'll barely even see the same parts of the map, and that's really cool because later in in Deus Ex, like that. That approach requires greater commitment and a little more insight into like figuring out how to apply your play style to each new environment, right? Like if you're stealthy, you got to learn like, okay, well here's how you can sort of stealth through this environment, and like here's, you know, here's the ways you can sort of turn the environment against the enemy. Okay, that's really cool. In a lot of RPGs, if you're finding like that every single thing has to have four different ways to, to access it. You know, it's so like you have to be able to kick down the door. You have to be <laughs> able to uh, pick the lock. Uh, you have to be able to convince someone to give you the key. Inevitably, you you end up with the sense that uh, none of those are very interesting because, like, each solution has to be almost, like... It has kind to be right the there toward the same door, yeah. right? There, yeah. there, it's like it's like an adventure game where all the single th- every every single thing is going to be on that screen or near it, yeah. and it just depends on what character you are uh, to sort of use the item on the other item. Yeah, it's and like press X rewarding. to to anything, you know, like press yeah. Yeah. The, the level of abstraction is such that it just makes it completely meaningless in a mechanical right. level. What's yeah. your thing? Are you a thief? Okay, press X to pick the lock. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, are you a bruiser? Uh, well, you kicked the door open. Yeah. And it, it's fine. Like, yeah, maybe like you, you want people to see what's behind that door. But when, it, when it's that obvious that like the game is sort of playing that trick on you, eventually you, it, it's sort of hard to feel like uh, that those choices are actually meaningful, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, but but I think Chris is dead on. Uh, you kind of have to feel like you've made a choice, and it came with trade offs. Uh, and that's, I think one like. Remember how angry some people got about the fact that like in Diablo three you could just sort of respec at any time. Yep. <laughs> and I kind of got it. Like yeah. I mean, I understood like, hey, of course, like you should be able to go and play with your same character and try all these different styles. But for some reason, it didn't feel as good to me because it was like, <laughs> no, because because it no longer felt like a big choice I was making. It just it just felt like I was flipping switches on my character, uh, and and so I, I do think it's it, it is a little more rewarding if you feel like you've accepted certain constraints and you're going to have to learn how to operate within those constraints because the game is not is only going to help you up to a point. Yeah. It has to hurt a tiny bit for it to feel good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, our next email is from Chris. Dear Weekenders, Street Fighter V appeals to me greatly based on its movements and the flow of the game, as far as I understand it anyway. Uh, Chris mentioned in a, in a part I deleted uh, that Chris is into, in, into fighting and was sort of interested to hear your views on it, Danielle. Nice. Yeah. Uh, 
I am, however, continually put off by the game's portrayal of female characters, most of which seem explicitly designed to cater to the presumed male gaze of the audience. I am having a hard time justifying the purchase and play of an entertainment product which runs so counter to representations of women as well as supposedly exotic characters I would endorse. Listening to last week's episode, as well as following Quentin Smith's The Contender, an excellent podcast about his endeavor to become one of the top 10% of Street Fighters, I was surprised to hear these issues hardly mentioned at all, given that I number you, as well as Quinn's, among the more critically-minded games podcasters out there. Should I just accept that it's a game of overdrawn stereotypes catering to teenage boys? Am I simply misreading here? Or are there traits of the game or the representations which make them acceptable to you? What makes representations of characters in games or entertainment at large unacceptable to you, and how does that inform your handling of game, in particular if it is one which interests you on a mechanical or other level? So for me, and this is completely personal, this is not like the the response that the, you know, quote unquote, good intersectional feminist will say. For me, it completely has to do with sort of the agency of the character in question. So uh, as an example, something I mentioned earlier, but Dragon's Crown, I didn't have so much of a problem with the art style, the really ridiculous, you know, breasts bigger than the character's heads. I find it ridiculous, but I don't really find it offensive or gross on a personal level but what i do find offensive and gross were the sort of npcs in that game that were just sort of these women who were like tied up and they were basically sort of hinting at like sexual slavery and really like not okay things i didn't have a problem with ridiculous outfits and ridiculous breasts on characters that are actually just sort of you know kicking ass and kicking everybody else's ass I do think that these games are very, very much targeted towards, you know, heterosexual males. That's that's quite obviously kind of what's going on uh, with the, the sort of mass audience of them. But I, again, it's personally for me, it's it has to do with the sort of agency of the character. Are they fighting? Are they are they like tough and awesome and and kicking butt? Like in that case, I'm I'm you know, it doesn't bother me. Um, I'm not saying it's like the greatest thing in the world or something that, you know, I look for in a game. I'm not like, wow, she, she just look at that. butt. you know, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not sitting there playing street fighter. Like, oh man, there's not enough butt in this game. Um, but I don't notice it as much within that context. Um, you know, certain personally, I'm the kind of person I, I really love watching real fighting. I like doing a little bit of real fighting. Um, and you know, Women MMA fighters, for example, they're wearing pretty skimpy outfits. You know, there was actually a woman who who fought in Invicta FC this weekend in sort of like a really tight little Wonder Woman sort of style little fighting outfit. And that doesn't bother me at all because those are real women who made the choice to wear those clothes. And that's what they're comfortable in. That's what they feel, you know, like most... I guess, kind of badass in, and that's great. And I don't have any problem at all with that. And, you know, the sort of Street Fighter costumes are, yeah, probably pretty revealing, but they don't look completely far off of what actual real-life women fighters might wear, other than the shoes. The shoes are a complete other... (laughs) Those are a complete other story, but in terms of, of just being sort of revealing clothing, you know, with scare quotes around it, that doesn't really bug me on a personal level. Yeah, I um, it's weird. I got this email, and my first reaction was like, "Oh, Street Fighter isn't that bad." And then I looked at the gallery of characters, and I was like, "Wait, that looks way worse than like I think of the <laughs> sure. game, right?" Like, yeah. like I recognize all the characters. Like, there's the Brazilian lady with like uh, a, a a very like prominent bust. Oh, yeah, uh, and with the thong kind of thing going on with her too. Yeah, yeah, and there's the um. 
Yeah, and there's the the wrestler was wearing the assless chaps, basically. Yep. yep. And I was like, shit, this okay. I guess it isn't as good as I thought. But here's the here's the weird thing: when you're playing Street Fighter, I don't feel like the characters do read that sexual. Uh, like yeah. when you, when you're viewing them side on, maybe it's just where your attention is drawn in terms of the moves. But like, it, it's weird. Like the character art is is kind of male gazy. But when I'm playing the game, I don't feel I, I it doesn't it doesn't register that much. And maybe that is just a product of the agency, right? Like when you're when you're actually playing Street Fighter, it's like, dude, it's time to fight. Like yeah. you know yeah. what's we're, like <laughs> like mind mind that leg placement. Like what's your spacing? <laughs> like yeah. so, I think that's definitely part of it. Um. I, I feel like, uh, you know, some of the, like, the characters aren't 100% uh, Superman, like, 100% male gazy. Like, uh, again, uh, okay, what's the what's the Brazilian lady's name? Uh, Laura. Okay, yes, yeah, yes, yes. It's the totally forgettable name. <laughs> yeah, not, but like, not yeah. But Laura, like, the Laura character is also, like, ripped to shit. Oh yeah. Um, like to the point where like that's not a look you will find in your average lad mag, uh, for instance. So it's it's it just reads a little bit differently, uh, and I think the con the context definitely matters, right? Like when you're actually playing these characters, um, they they turn into uh, sort of vessels for the move set, right? And it, it that kind of makes it easier to overlook those issues and and forgive them a little bit. Uh, regarding regarding representation in games, um, it just put me in mind of another email we got a little while back uh, from yeah. from uh, an, another another listener uh, who wanted to get into The Witcher Three, but was way too grossed out by like the sexualization of female characters and. Just the overall, like, um, like the way sexuality is treated in that world, and I do think, yeah, that's that 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 is that is a more troubling thing because that is that is a series that actually has a pretty terrible record, like in terms of depiction, yeah, of like gender, and yet, like, I find myself easy for me to do. I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a straight, I'm a straight <laughs> white dude. Uh, sure. I find myself giving it a bit of a pass because, like, it gets a lot of other things right. Uh, and also, it's a game that's actually hyper aware of misogyny. Yeah, uh, yes. it's a series that's that's hyper aware of misogyny, and yet, and yet, like, <laughs> a scene that really left an awful taste in my mouth, and I actually kind of stopped playing the game for a little while. Uh, after the scene, uh, there's this character, uh, Horson Jr. Yes, uh, who's this gang leader in the main the main city in The Witcher Three, and you get into his compound. And there's this huge quest chain getting into his compound, and everyone's like, "Dude, it's like creepy and scary. Like girls go in, and they don't come back out, and everything." Yeah, and you get in there, and it's this total like macabre, um, like gallery. Right, like he's he's like artistically arranged uh, the women he's like killed and dismembered, and it was insanely off-putting, and not just because the like, not just because the imagery, but I, I think what bothered me about the like the representation there uh, was that there was no way to arrange that scene that didn't also sort of imply that women were just objects. 
Because yeah. there was no way, like, how could you look at that scene and create a convincing backstory for why that yeah. would exist? Like, yeah. like, wait, are you telling me that, like, the prostitutes he ordered in, like, walked in and saw, like, women dangling from meat hooks and, like, just sort of meekly got into the hot tub with him and hoped, gee, I right. hope it doesn't happen to me. Like, there's, just, there, there's no way the scene could have looked the way it did uh, if you had any thought about, like, the women actually, like, being victims of this character. The scene only looked that way because somebody was like, man, this is going to look awesome if, like, all these dead, like, naked ladies are, like, spread around the room in different yeah. pieces. And that really, that really put me off. Because, like, on the one hand, like, the character's a monster. And, like, this, this, this series is very aware that, like, there's a lot of men who, who hate women. Yes. Uh, the, the series has is, is always been uh, sort of interested in that. But then the scene can't help but almost engage in the same sort of depraved fascination with violence against women that it's also trying to tell a story about. And that really bothered me, right? It's it, that, like, when, when, you're, when you're seeing stuff like that, that, uh, yeah, again, sort of reduces women to objects, but uh, even, even more than that, it's, it, it, when, when you see things that don't reflect any interest in what the female character, like, what would have led your female characters into a certain situation or to make certain choices like about their dress, about their appearance, about who they are when you just sort of do it because, eh, this, <laughs> this pleases me. This, this cool. would be cool. Yeah. 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 And only me. serves, only serves as sort of motivation for the male character to do a violent thing to like avenge them in a way, you know, yeah. to, to kind of be like, Oh, this was my motivation. This sort of very much a, a, a fridging kind of, yeah. thing going on yeah I, you're absolutely right there there are some really gross things in witcher 3 and yeah the women are obviously like put into very like sort of sexual poses in the character art in street fighter 5 all all of this stuff um completely completely kind of goes under the you know how much how much does it take to bother you how much do you you know it's, it's a very personal thing it's a very gut level kind of thing right you know some things will bother me some things won't and I think it's more than fair to kind of point out these things in any game. Even if you like them, it's okay to also kind of, you know, the whole, obviously, uh, you know, <laughs> Anita Sarkeesian thing of, you know, it's totally okay to like something and also call out it's bullshit. And there's bullshit in both of these games, even though they're games that we enjoy. So, yeah. But ultimately, I think, do you find, like, a lot of times I will, I, I think implicitly, maybe this isn't a good thing, but I think a lot of times I'm just sort of saying, yeah. I want to enjoy this game. Like, at a certain point, I'm just like, yep, I, I'm aware of all this. It's gross. I don't like it. I'm kind of done thinking about it now because I want to go back to just sort of having fun <laughs> with the the main part of the experience, right? Like, I'm not going to let this... Maybe it, maybe it's a big side dish, but nonetheless, it is a side dish to the entree. Sure. I mean, like, it, it's all a question of, like, how you compartmentalize these yeah. things, right? Like, and, and how much you're able to compartmentalize. You know, if I was a person who, like... You know, perhaps I had had some some violence in my past or something. Maybe certain things would bother me more, and that's more than fair. Like I'll always kind of be on the on the side of like, if you're bothered by something, you're allowed. You know, you're allowed to be bothered. You're always allowed to be bothered, and I think that's, you know, that's sort of where the stuff gets really hairy is when people kind of like police other people's feelings and, yes. and say that like, oh, your feelings aren't valid for some reason. It's like, no, feelings are always valid. You know, you might you might not agree no. with them, and it's okay to not agree with them, but like. People can feel whatever they're going to feel, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So our next email, let's see if this is also a Chris. No, this is a Connor. Okay. Uh, Connor Mustachio Nut Holden. Uh, Connor says, hi, Danielle and Rob. 
I recently noticed that Alien Isolation was on offer on Steam, and so following Danielle's recommendation, decided to pick it up. I'm about six or so hours in, I just finished retrieving some medical supplies, and I'm really enjoying the story and the world. However, whenever the alien shows itself, I never feel particularly scared or anxious. It always seems somehow mechanical and more of an irritation than anything else. I don't have much in the way of horror credentials. I've never really watched many horror films or played that many games of the genre, except for one memorable stint with Amnesia, The Dark Descent, a game whose enemies thoroughly terrified me. Not being an expert on the subject, the main thing I remember being different about those encounters was that you could actually survive a hit or two and run from them, whereas the alien is very fast and will kill you instantly. Strangely, Amnesia's foes were scarier despite being less deadly. Maybe the act of running, when I'm given more agency as a player to escape or die, was just a more intense experience than sitting in a closet hiding when I have time to reflect on the more mechanical aspects of the hunt. Anyway, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on the ideas of running from enemies, one game affecting how you play another, and whether the intensity of horror games simply lessens dramatically as you play more of them. I think you're I think you're onto something there, Connor, with this sort of idea of like you know, it's up to you whether you live or not, not entirely just up to the game. Um, and, you know, sort of whether you run away in the right way or kind of get lucky in the right way makes a difference. I will say keep playing because the game does become more of that. Alien Isolation becomes more of that. Without, you know, uh, spoiling anything, there will be ways for you to survive an encounter with the alien and uh, sort of live to live to run or live to hide a little bit longer. Uh, so, yeah, keep playing. Keep giving it a shot. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get there myself. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I will say, I think the, you know, the way, like, running versus, like, just being, like, slaughtered if this thing detects you, uh, it puts me in mind of a, far, uh, a Farscape quote. Uh-huh. Uh, do you remember at the end of season one, uh, the main character and his alien warrior buddy, Cardago? are about to go do some really dangerous stuff. And the sort of everyman human character is like, why aren't like, you know, we're, we're about to basically go on a suicide mission. Like, why aren't, why aren't I scared? And Cardago says, fear accompanies the possibility of death. Calm shepherds its certainty. Yes. And I actually think that ends up like explaining what <laughs> makes a horror game work, right? Like horror games are at their most effective if you don't let the player die. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you keep them close. You keep them, like, constantly feeling like, my God, I'm, like, I need to, like, I, I could die in a second. Like, I, I need to be perfect if I'm going to stay alive. But the moment you end up in a situation, like, Alien often puts you in where, like, if that thing detects you, you're done. Like, you'll hear the pounding, like, footfalls of the, of the alien, and then you get killed in a quick in a quick animation and that is effective the first couple times and then you're like oh yep it detected me i can't get anywhere to like put a locked door between me and it so that's that i'll just sit back and wait for this to happen and that is uh yeah that that eventually becomes sort of antithetical to the the goal of like maintaining suspense that I, I think uh alien isolation often has i i i do feel like a lot of times the way that the way that alien operates is just a little bit at odds with what the game is trying to do. Yeah, I think that's right. As long as you allow boredom to be a possibility, you invite uh, you invite that. <laughs> the alien is just around too damn much. It's, it really is. Like I'm thinking about. He's it, like, a noose. Yeah, just such a nuisance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you know, if, if you think about it, alien works because like there's always the possibility the aliens nearby, but really most of the most of that movie, the alien is just hanging out somewhere. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's up in it's up in its little lair or something like putting people in its little cocoons, 
Uh, it's it's doing stuff. But that almost aliens... sounded cute, you know, the way you said, it. like, oh, you know, it's like he's knitting. You know, he's yeah. waiting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like alien, yeah. like aliens can do alien things. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 got places to be. But every every scene is infused with like infused with this terror uh, because it could show up at any moment. And there's lots of like you know the lighting, there's sounds, like everyone thinks like oh shit, like is the alien about to appear? In Alien Isolation, there's a lot of creepy sounds and everything. It's really tense until the moment you actually hear the sort of like <laughs> and then like see the alien like descend and start patrolling. Because yeah. that moves it from theoretical, like, oh, shit, like, what if it shows up and I'm in the middle of doing something here? And it moves it into this, like, ah, oh, shit. Like, I'm going <laughs> sure. to be stuck in this locker for 10 minutes while this thing, like, goes through its routine. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, all right. Our last email comes from Garrick. Uh, hey, Robin Danielle. I thought as writers, you two might be able to share your thoughts on a problem I'm facing. I'm currently finishing up editing a series of sci-fi science fantasy stories, and I've been getting mostly positive feedback from family, friends, and random internet strangers, but I'm scared to publish. Partly this is because this is a world where nanobots are used for sorcery, starfighters dual dragons, and people worship AIs as gods, so I worry about alienating people who prefer their sci-fi or fantasy to be pure. But mostly... I'm worried about my approach to basic things like exposition, dialogue, inner monologue, descriptions, and so on. I like what I've written, and most of my readers so far seem to like it overall, but have some caveats. But those caveats differ from person to person. They say you can't please everyone, but I'm scared that if I leave any individual criticism standing, I'm failing as a writer. How do you draw the line between engaging constructively with feedback and hopelessly trying to please every last reader? <laughs> Um, my screenwriting professors in, in when I was in film school would always say, you know, just write a million drafts and you'll figure it out along the way. <laughs> that was basically their advice for everything was just write another draft. Just write another draft. Just write another draft. You're not feeling something? Write another draft. Uh, so <laughs> there's that. Awesome advice. I really do think a lot of that kind of, uh, in terms of fiction writing anyway, fiction writing is so much harder than, um, you know, sort of journalistic writing. At least it is for me. Um, but I do it for fun. And a lot of it kind of comes with time, like just just getting sort of your writing muscles flexed and getting them kind of ready to keep going and, and starting to feel more comfortable with whatever format you're writing. And it sounds like you're doing short stories or novels. Uh, yeah, probably short stories the way it's uh, it sounds here. And the more short stories you write, the better you're going to get at it and the more of a sense that you're going to feel that you're actually doing it right. Uh, but you're never going to feel like you're doing it right until you do it a million times. Uh, so that sort of repetition exercise metaphor kind of works. In terms of science fantasy and sort of keeping those things pure, I feel like we are living in a time where a whole lot of people really like both. And uh, maybe maybe it's a little bit different from before, but I, I, I really do feel like every, every site that's sort of like for fantasy or, or for sci-fi kind of does both and kind of mixes both. And you know, even even the kind of superhero movies that we watch a lot of kind of are mixing quite a bit of both sort of magic and science are sort of in in, you know, one piece. So I wouldn't worry about that too much, potentially. Yeah, um, I think. I'm part of the. Uh, like, I'm not a great I don't have great answers for this because like, I've certainly lately, like for some reason, uh, I've gotten like imposter syndrome 
you know, like really bad. Uh, I just don't want to talk about my work. I don't want to publicize it. I just want to like, I, I just, I just like, I want to do my job and then sort of quietly like vanish. Um, and, and I think that's, that's, that's partly just a feeling of, of being overstretched and, and uh, like overexposed. Uh, and so like part of it just comes from not in the most like amazing, like mental health place regarding my work lately. Um, but I totally get the feeling of like, there's, there's a real dread that can come over you when you're about to publish something. Because at that point, it feels like your mistakes are set in stone. Now, uh, in, in, our, in our wonderful world of like online games writing, you can always <laughs> stealth edit. Uh, you, can, you, yep. can always, you can always go back. You can include a correction. You can make an amendment, whatever. Uh, but like, if, you're, if you're putting a story out there, it's, it's probably harder to make those, those changes. And the, the, a lot of it comes from like, sort of when I look at my own feelings that, that sort of reflect this, uh, a lot of it comes from like that is the moment you are basically giving up on bridging the gap between your ideal and your reality. Uh, like at that point you're basically committing to like, this is it. This is, this is what I've created and you know, it doesn't match what you probably had in your head at first, right? It's still not quite exactly what you wanted, but you no longer are going to be pursuing that. So like, this is now like, there's an act of settling, uh, that, that's sort of inherent to this. Uh, and then there's the fact that it's always, it's always scary to sort of put yourself out there. Um, but you know, it sounds to me like, uh, when you've got different people making different criticisms, mostly everyone likes it. Uh, it really depends on what criticism criticisms you feel are, are well-founded. Don't argue with people making critiques. You just have to ask yourself, like, does this align with my goals, right? Like, does, does the problem the person has with the story, does that, is what they want the thing I was trying to create, Right, because if if the answer is yes, then maybe there is something you need to sort of uh, reevaluate. But a lot of times, when something's been through the the ringer a few times, a lot of the criticism you'll get back is fundamentally stuff like, "No, I just wanted to go a different direction, and you would have chosen a different direction, sure, but this is my thing, so I'm going to do what I want, and that's fine." Yes, that makes perfect sense. And on that note, I think it's time for us to talk about our weekend projects. So, Rob. I think we have the same one this week, so yes. I will just say, Captain America: Civil War. What did you think? Um, so I thought it was, uh, I was, I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I did see it with the worst audience uh, possible. <laughs> oh no! Uh, let's see. There was the, uh, the there was a the couple making out uh, behind <laughs> us, and. Uh, like I don't, I don't know, man. Like, like for for all I know, like somebody was was getting around to like second, third base territory back there because this girl's legs kept like hammering the back of my seat, oh my hammering the back of, of my seat. It was awful. Uh, and then there were the dudes, uh, like not not repping, uh, not repping well for 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 my people, uh, having loud conversations in Spanish on their cell phone. Sure. <laughs> during sure. the movie, uh, but the the real the real the the the, the real kicker was um, th- there was this dude who was alone, but like clearly thought like he was going to be the dude uh, mm-hmm. who was making all the funny comments during the movie, oh, and like god. we were all going to enjoy his personal riff tracks. Oh god! And yeah. it was like it was bad. 
uh, and like to the point where like I was like I was like we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get like an usher or something oh, to deal man. with this shit. Yeah, uh, but we didn't because the dude passed out and started having like just like snoring like loudly, uh, and then like not and then having weird like. Uh, breathing symptoms acting up to the point oh where, like, God. I was like, "Oh man, I, did he like? Did, did he need to bring like like a CPAP or Is something?" Is he gonna like, die? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sitting there like there were, there were some key scenes in that movie where I'm like sitting there like, "Oh shit, like this movie's good, but like that dude, that dude doesn't sound good." But if, if we wake him up, we might start doing the the funny the funny the the funny comments again. So I don't know. <laughs> what was the worst fate? Yeah. Oh my god. Other than that, though, movies. Yeah, I really liked it. Uh, what did you make of it? So I really liked it. I actually, it was one of those where I, I went on uh, opening night, and so that was fun and exciting, and we got a, an icy and a Captain America slash Iron Man face cup. That was that was fun. Um, and I came home, and we went to a late show, so it was like an 11.30 show in Manhattan. So we came home around 3 in the morning, and I immediately wrote up my review and then uh, sort of did a little video review of it. Oh, God, is that that thing yep. you've been dealing with for the... Oh, yep. God, so you and did where that there was in the a copyright the claim, and it was oh, all trailer God. footage, but... I I won my copyright claim, believe it or not, Damn against right Disney did. Marvel and then some random German website that also tried to claim the footage. It was a disaster. But anyway, the movie itself, yeah, um, I really I really liked it, but I kind of had uh, a lot of feelings about it in terms of sort of like I like that they're reaching a little bit with these movies, especially the Captain America movies, the, the second two anyway. The first yes. Captain America movie bored me so much that oh, I fell I asleep it. twice. Only one. Literally fell asleep twice and could only not Only one of these movies it. I haven't actually, like, I, I, I bailed on that movie. Yeah. Like, I got halfway through it, it and I was like, me. I don't give a shit. It bored me so much. I, I just was like, whatever. And I've never been interested in Captain America. I think he is the most boring-ass hero. Yes, he's hot. I know Kara Ellison has pictures of herself, you know, boning Captain America and touching his butt, and that's pretty cool. But, like, man, is he a boring guy. And it's fine. Like, I I, I get it. I get that he's the, the sort of white bread all-American and, you know, like, his morals are the country's morals and all that shit. That, it's fine. It's cool. His movies always have more interesting people in them other than the second one, so I'm cool. And I enjoy them. I liked Winter Soldier, and I liked this one. Um... So, so again, sorry, uh, my problems with this movie kind of are completely that they are starting to reach a little bit. They're starting to try to say something. They are trying to, you know, with the with Winter Soldier, they were talking a little bit about surveillance and freedom and some very ACLU-ish things. And I was like, I appreciate that. They are at least mentioning things and presenting things in not in exactly a nuanced way, but at least they're talking about things. That's cool. And this one felt like it was stretching even a little bit further. Like, this movie felt to me like it had, you know, uh, the entire ideological sort of um, crux of the movie is whether or not these superheroes need oversight. That a government should should have some kind of oversight over the things they do yeah. because people die when they go in and they do their their world policing, basically. people People get hurt from it. They obviously are trying to do some good. They're trying to save the world from aliens and bad guys and all sorts of things and terrorists. But people do get hurt when they use force. And, you know, sort of the idea of if you are a legitimate police force, you are allowed to use... Sorry, I didn't mean to say force that many times. But if you are a legitimate police, you know, actor, you are allowed to use force, but you have to use it wisely, basically. There should be rules Theoretically. on Theoretically. Yeah, right, theoretically. That's the idea. Uh, and ideologically speaking, Captain America is like, no, 
you know, we do our best, the cleanest hands are our own, or whatever he says, the purest hands are still our own. And, you know, these bureaucrats with agendas are going to ruin our lives. And Iron Man says, no, we need oversight. We need to be kept in check. People die. It's a bad thing. And, you know, it feels like, okay, good, you know, they're discussing things that are actually really, really, really fucking important in America in 2016 when we have all these discussions about police violence and kind of who who gets to say what and who gets to say when when it comes to things like use of force and police violence. And I also felt like the, the movie was like, maybe just maybe trying to whisper something about race like black panther is a prominent character in this movie there are several like heroes of color and the movie is is like very quietly kind of showing that the marvel cinematic universe is getting like a little bit more diverse it's still mostly you know white heroes but hey there's there's way more you know people of color there's there's some women getting in there it's it's like getting to be a little bit more more diverse so it felt like hey okay this movie really wants to say something and maybe it's kind of on the freshman in college level of, of just sort of like hey i'm starting to understand the world i'm gonna say a thing but it never really makes good on any of that promise and i'm not holding these movies to a standard of like oh this is going to be a very nuanced take on discourse in america in 2016 i don't expect that at all and i'm not holding it to that but it does feel like they they really want to say something with these movies. And I both appreciate that and wish they could take it kind of another step. And, you know, I, I am hoping it, it does make me very hopeful for the future that they do continue to kind of do a little bit of that, even even though these are kind of like big, dumb superhero movies. <laughs> and it's all kind of about the action and the characters and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I want more of that. And I and I like that they're reaching and I and God, I just wish they would take that next step to say like, okay, we're going to connect this to something even a little bit more relevant to, you know, our culture and our See, times. I don't know. I kind of feel like it, like it's a fake out. Like they want their stuff <laughs> sure. to be topical. Yeah, and it's like exactly. relevant to the the moment. Like it, the, the the game, like the 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 films are sort of aware of of the zeitgeist. Yes, but then they don't actually want to say anything. They just, you know what I mean? It's like they, yeah. they, 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 they want to be like adjacent to that conversation, but then they don't actually like want to make a statement about it because then you'll offend someone. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so this is why like, the, like it's interesting. Like winter soldier had the same like incoherence. It did. Right. It sure Where did. like, like the movie starts with, with captain America being like, Hey, like the security state is completely out of control and the cure at this point is worse than the disease. Um, and it ends with basically uh, one of the characters, Black Widow, uh, being like, "Yeah, we're really we're incredibly dangerous, and <laughs> you could argue that uh, we we do more harm than good. But fuck you, uh, you can't stop us." Pretty and much. Kind of, that's kind Pretty of much. The, that's, that's kind of where that movie ended up. Um, and then with this, and then with this next movie, uh, you you end up with uh, with uh, a very similar uh, place. Also, it had a it had a a frustrating tendency to make these these actually pretty important like arguments uh, personal, yes, right? Like very much where so. the like I'm not sure. Like, I don't think I don't think Captain America's position in that movie gets very well spelled out because he's so busy being like, yeah, but Bucky though. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like everyone's like, you know, I think maybe we need to regulate superheroes and figure out what we want to do with this whole changing world. And he's like, yeah, but my, but my boo, we yeah, gotta, we gotta, we gotta my make boo. sure he's okay. Yes. We gotta, 
Like, no, you're talking about my bestie. I'm not going to let you take him away. Yeah. It's like, that's not, that's, 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 that's not perhaps the best light to put it in. Um, I, I think other things that frustrated me a little bit is, um, I think there's this unearned sense of like guilt. Yeah. About their whole like superheroism thing. Like when they bring out the the list of like, here's all the things the Avengers have done and like all the ways that it's ended in like tragedy and death. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of really crucial context you're leaving out here. Yeah. Like there's there's like kind of a lot. Like I, I, I get that it's uh I, I guess I, I get that like a, a fun thread in superhero stories is to be like you know, do, do the people fighting the darkness become the darkness? Right. Do they create that? Yeah. I, I, I totally get it. But in this case, I'm like, no, dude, like, like aliens actually aliens invaded Aliens are trying New to York. blow it up. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry about a few buildings and, like, some collateral damage. I'm sure that I'm sure was pretty bad. But, like, that was like an intergalactic invasion, man. Like, I think <laughs> cut these guys some slack. Yeah, that was a little ham-handed as well. And it was kind of like... I, there are legit concerns uh, to be made about uh, excessive use of force. Maybe don't frame them in these ridiculous kinds of ways. But if, yeah, but I know, I know, and I and I get it, and I you know I get that it's like a goofy superhero movie, and it and it wants to be more, and it kind of is more sometimes, and other times it sort of like shakes its pretty head and wants to do you know cartwheels, yeah. <laughs> which it does well, you know. So yeah. Yeah, so it leaves um, me in that place. It leaves me in that place of like, man, I would love these movies if they, you know, my my most favorite MCU property by 10 miles is Jessica Jones because it feels like it actually makes good on the sort of deeper issues that it brings up. Um, at least, you know, within the context of a, of a of a supernatural, you know, superhero kind of story. Like, yes, there's there's goofy stuff that happens, but it feels real. And that and the sort of things that it says about abuse and about victimhood, those are pretty emotionally honest things that it does, and it and it does them well while also being like a, a you know a noir thing and a and a superhero thing. So I know they can do it. I know they're capable of doing it. Well, I just kind of wish it would. Completely different creative teams, though. Yeah, like, no, you know no, what I mean. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah. The, I don't think the movies have proven they're capable of doing that at all because, like, ultimately, it feels like Marvel Studios exert a lot more. Like the implication I've always gotten is that. The Mar- like the Marvel Studios exert a lot of control over how those movies come across, and yeah. there may be a little lighter, lighter uh, with of a touch with the TV stuff, which is why I think a lot of times the TV stuff ends up being maybe a little more interesting. Like, sure. uh, you know, season two of Shield was some some fantastic superhero stuff. Nice. Uh, I don't know if you if you follow that show at all. I've not yet, but I, I would like to because I do also want to kind of understand some of the you know the backstory that's going on in you know the 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 big the big movies as well too. Yeah. Yeah, no, but like season two is entirely like uh, on the one hand you do have the personal stakes because the se- the second season's action is is basically driven by uh, the main character uh, sort of coming into contact with her estranged parents uh, who, who oh, wow. gave her up and fig- like they're very different people and figuring out like who they are and like what her relationship with them needs to be. But then it's also in this complicated context of like, hey, we're we're basically mutants, we're inhumans, um, and the history of being a a minority in this world uh, is pretty bad. Yeah. And therefore, can we ever really trust the authorities? Is it ever really worth it to cooperate with them? 
because in the past for people like us that leads to you being registered and then marched off to a work camp somewhere Absolutely. right and i that was a really interesting thing and you you see that you you see that all played out over the course of the season in the movies you you tend to have these quick nods to these ideas and then it's like all right well now everybody just punch each other for like 10 minutes <laughs> and then uh, yeah. as opposed to Jessica Jones where like people get hurt there are consequences um in 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 the marvel films uh and it, like like no one like there's no lasting damage like you know what i mean like everyone is everyone's fine like these yeah. characters like can't these characters literally can't hurt each other like one person one person is like severely injured in this in this film everyone but they're all effectively immortal uh which eventually starts to i think reduce the stakes a little bit right because like yeah. you know like you know this the civil war is like okay well these guys are gonna punch each other for a little while and then they'll look sad, and you know it'll never be the same, but really it's exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really running up against kind of the ceiling with a lot of that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. And, you know, this almost ties into sort of the stakes uh, issue, you know, issue that we were talking about, obviously in games uh, last week, but it's they're kind of hitting that now with this. Um, but yeah, I... I will continue to hope for for that level of nuance and for that level of kind of like let's move some things forward. Let's move the players on the field a little bit with this. Yeah, I man, I am so dreading when they finally like remember that Thanos is a thing that's oh, like going to happen. Yeah, because man, is that going to be? Oh man, is that does that ever feel like just the the plot they can't back away from now? Oh, pretty much. Like, it's gonna be like okay, I guess. All right, Can guys, we just we say he had an accident on his space? <laughs> on his died on the way I have to go. My planet needs me. <laughs> and I was like sucked <laughs> off into a different world. That's what it was. He got he got pulled into the red tape, and it's done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, like because I, I do think like this where this where this film is at its most interesting is when things are on a personal level. Uh, between between these characters, like not the, the, like the ideological arguments are good, but I like it as a catalyst for like personal disagreement. Right, that you see how Tony Stark is basically evolved. I just watched Iron Man too, where he's oh, basically yeah. saying like, "Hey, I can do what I want, and the safest hands are my own." You know, I prioritize like, national security or whatever he said. Yeah. yeah, you know. And by the end of that movie, he's basically like his his arrogance has has like led to like one disaster after another. And like the the arc of his character is about like slowly being less of an egoist. Like he's still he's still an egotistical asshole, but like being a little more aware of it, right? And by this movie, he's very much of the mindset that like, man, we need to like we need to put constraints on ourselves. We like we can't be doing that anymore because it ends badly. And then you have Cap basically like saying, No, I think I'm just such a good guy. You know, like like Dad rules are for best. other people, but trust yeah. me, I'm really good. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, in the exactly. 40s. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can't argue with that. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. So but but no, overall though, like these are it's you know the, these are like the fact that we can talk about these these movies this yeah. much yeah is a pretty huge mark in their favor right it like is. there's not many superhero movies that you find yourself discussing at length after you've seen them yeah I agree and I also I have to say I give lots of props to sort of the the army of people who are making these this many of them at this budget you know this many you know sort of per year at this point like the fact that they're able to make this this 
giant machine of movie making work for them and, and do it in a way that's competent and, and done well is, is something I admire. The, the, just yeah. the sort of craft of it I definitely admire as well. So with that, I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend pr- was produced by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. If you're enjoying the show, if you're having fun with us, please do go ahead and go on iTunes and rate us. And please do tell your friends, family, acquaintances, pets, you know, shout it from the rooftops. Whoever it is that you think might enjoy Idle Weekend, tell them about it because it helps us so much and it means the world to us. And to keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends. <laughs>